Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Ladies and gentlemen, a new book out we want to take a look at. And its author will know those of us who are close to and follow Talking Points Memo. Uh, he's an editor at large there. He's written three, or at least three, he's written several books, but at least three previous books leading up to this one, and it'll all come together. The Socialist Awakening, The Nationalist Revival, The Populist Explosion, and The Emerging Democratic Majority. Uh, he's co-authored those. Um, but his latest kind of brings it all together very well. The Politics of Our Time. Populism, nationalism, and socialism. Our guest today on Make It Plain is John B. Judas. John, how are you? I'm just the Andy. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on the book. Thank you. So, uh, in terms of the book, Populism, Nationalism, Socialism, which one is winning right now, John? I could write to it. I think we're actually in a kind of lull. We're in a period where it's not where there's a before where we had a, a, a real populist explosion with Trump, uh, Brexit, uh, Europe. We had a, a big, big uh, explosion of parties like the alternative for Deutschland and Germany that was, uh, you know, polling at 2% in 2015 and suddenly became the major opposition party uh, to the government. But I think during the pandemic and the recession that's hit, a lot of the countries have gone back to uh, sort of old and uh, tested or even technocratic in the case of uh, France uh, leadership. I mean, we have a uh, 
what, 78-year-old guy who's been around in the Senate since the early 1970s leading the country. So I think that there is a, 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 a uh, in some sense, a reversion to a kind of expertise, a feeling of uh, insecurity that we have to have people who've been around and a, a reluctance to uh, bet on parties like um, the, Trump, the Trump Republicans or the Marine Le Pen in France or Corbyn in, uh, in Britain. So, so you mentioned the populism um, in, around Trump, but what's compare and contrast or show us how they overlap, if at all, populism and nationalism? Well, they, they overlap in the current times, and you can see this both in the, the United States and Europe. Uh, populism pits in a, a people against an elite. Who the people are and who the elite is depend upon the time and the circumstances. They can be vastly uh, uh, different, but you know, two terms. On the on the left, it's it's uh, pretty much a a, a a relationship of the people versus the elite, and you're trying to do things like uh, create greater equality. Uh, you're worried of, about corporations having too much power and moving overseas. On the right, you also have the same kind of thing, but in addition, you have um, scapegoating. Uh, and a lot of times the scapegoating takes the form of a, uh, a foreign uh, group, uh, Ill illegal immigrants in the United States, Muslims from uh, Syria, Afghanistan, North Africa, who are coming into uh, Europe during the 2010. So that that uh, uh, encourages a kind of explicit nationalism. Nationalism is not something necessarily bad, but it can take a it can take a malignant form. And what you get with the populism on the right is a kind of malignant nationalism. Mexicans are rapists, you know, that kind of stuff that we have uh, heard a lot from, uh, tr from Trump uh, beginning uh, from the day he uh, went uh, down the escalator and, and announced his uh, presidency in New York. That makes sense. Where, where is socialism today? Is it growing? Is it more popular? Is it on the rise? I would say, again, it's uh, reached a kind of plateau. What struck me, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an old socialist from the 60s, but I was a different kind of socialist then. I was more of the Karl Marx kind of socialist, was that you started seeing this incredible thing in the, in the what, 2010s or so, the end of the Obama years, where they take these polls of young people and the 50% would say, well, they, they prefer socialism to capitalism. Now, what did that mean? Uh, it really meant something like Scandinavia, a kind of advanced social democracy, cooperation uh, rather than competition, caring about people, not the kind of cut cutthroat society we have, one with a very generous social uh, safety net, um, anti-racism, anti-sexism, elements like that. So yeah, I think we saw that. And uh, with Bernie Sanders, it got the name uh, publicly and very importantly of democratic socialism. Bernie, you know, did very well in the primaries in 2016 and 2020, but there was a certain uh, plateau he reached and he reached it with people, you know, mainly who grew up during the Cold War, uh, age 40, 45 and over, 
who still identify socialism with uh, the Soviet Union, communist China, or maybe today in the Venezuela, which was important in uh, killing off Democrats among Cubans and other Latinos in the uh, in South Florida during during the election. So uh, in that sense, it's reached a plateau, but we do have this kind of support uh, in the Democratic Party for, you know, what sometimes doesn't even have the name of socialism, but consists in more equality, uh, greater role of government in the economy and trying to uh, provide services for people, things like that. Where does the new government fall in the spectrum, the Biden-Harris administration, uh, in terms of populism, nationalism, and, and social. I think he's trying to be a populist president, I think. Am I wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Much much to my uh, delight and surprise. I mean, he was, uh, in 2015, he was assuring uh, uh, Wall Street people that there would be no change from a Biden presidency. But um, but he, you know, he's been moved by circumstances and I give him a lot of credit for that. I think, you know, there was obviously there was pressure from the left and the Democratic Party, but there was pressure from from the fact that uh, he was facing a pandemic and a deep recession. And I think he learned something from the Obama years. Uh, Obama during his first two years didn't go big enough. And he didn't fight the Republicans. He wasn't willing to be to recognize that he wasn't going to get things by being bipartisan. So, you know, he delayed the health care thing way past the time when he could have gotten a much uh, stronger bill. He didn't go after the banks, et cetera, et cetera. And then he found himself in 2010 with a minority in Congress. And I think that Biden learned something from that, and he's proceeding much in a much bolder way and uh, is taking, in many respects, a populist approach to, for instance, taxes on the wealthy, taxes, uh, raising taxes on uh, corporations. You know, his his relief program is uh, really is reminiscent of the of the New Deal. Uh, People are complaining now that it's making reluctant people reluctant to to uh, take jobs because the economic benefits of unemployment benefits are so high. My reply to that is raise wages. And in fact, I think that's what you're going to find. You're going to find a lot of pressure. And we're hearing that already from Burger King and places like that. that They're going to have to raise wages in order to get people to work. That's all the better. That's what we want, because we've had this incredible demarcation in the country with being the very rich and the very, you know, people who are just barely getting by. More MIP after this message. Now, you also write in your latest op-ed at Talking Points Memo that Biden and the Democrats would do well to observe very closely what's happening with the Labor Party in in Britain too, right? Yes. I think that the Democrats and the Republicans in the United States have very similar kinds of problems politically. They both have extremes on the left, and they're not economic extremes. They're more social and cultural that we could potentially discredit them with a lot of voters in the middle. You know, Britain, Boris Johnson really is uh, ewing toward the center on both economics and social stuff, and that's what got him a lot of popularity, and that's what got him this successful election. 
lot of the reason the Democrats were so successful in uh, 2020 and won those those uh, two Senate races in Georgia, which was you know a, a miracle, was because of Trump. I mean, people identified the uh, Republican Party with uh, Trump, violence, extremism, um, you know, the worst kind of bigotry. Democrats, again, demands like defund the police. Um, also, I have to admit the specter of socialism. Some of the most extreme uh, demands about sexuality that we shouldn't talk about uh, males and females, that there's something wrong with talk the biology of that, are also going to land the Democrats in trouble in the same way they did the Labor Party uh, in Britain. Again, not feeling that we're not all Americans, that there's something wrong with being an American. I think in Britain, you had that same kind of sentiment within the Labor Party, and it killed the, the uh, Labor Party among a lot of working class uh, voters. But John, in everything you said, though, the cat's already kind of out of the bag here in the states. I mean, it, it'd be kind of hard to for Democrats, I would think. Would you not agree to to walk back any of those positions? I mean, I think that it's pretty much out there. Well, it, it's out there, but uh, you, you know, there is a leadership in Congress, and there's a president. And the Biden's been doing his best uh, to to walk some of it back. I mean, he talks about reforming the police, not uh, defunding the police. I mean, there are cities and towns in this country where that makes sense. But there's a lot of places, including where I live in Montgomery County, where it's just bewildering what people might even mean, mean, you know, mean by that, because we don't have a lot of, um, you know, police brutality. There aren't there aren't the kind of incidents that sparked uh, uh, demonstrations in, in Minneapolis or Kenosha. So again, I think it is possible to walk that back in, the, in, that, in that sense. And I think that the Democrats nationally have to be very, very careful about that stuff because look, I mean, you emphasize that stuff and you're gonna end up electing Republicans who are gonna screw exactly the people that you wanna help in the first place. I mean, I've said that, that all along. I mean, in the new left, we went way too uh, off the deep end in the late 60s and early 70s. And uh, that was, a, you know, we ended up with Ronald Reagan and he ended up hurting exactly the people that we wanted to uh, help in the first place. So I think we have to be very careful with these social and cultural wedge issues to try to, you know, again, stay down the middle and respect other people's point of view and not get into the extremes. Well, with all due respect, there may not have been many demonstrations recently in Montgomery County, but I used to live in that area and there has been, there's still a history of police violence, <laughs> uh, but it may not get the same reaction today. I wonder too, though, whether, I mean, Biden replaced the Andrew Jackson portrait with FDRs. And is that a statement about him trying to be more populist and even trying to reach some of the people you're talking about in the middle and beyond, creating more jobs, creating an FDR type program? Isn't that an example of him trying to be more populist? Sure. I mean, you know, Franklin Roosevelt ran a populist campaign in 1936 for instance, where, where, where uh, he talked about the economic royalists. Uh, absolutely. You know, Andrew Jackson, uh, th there were strong elements of populism, but uh, also there was the Indian Wars. I mean, that's what J Jackson uh, w 
became uh, popular for in part. So um, yeah, there was a there was a dark side to to uh, Andrew Jackson, but you know I don't want to make this complicated. But Roosevelt himself was a big fan of uh, Andrew Jackson because he you know again people didn't see the whole picture then. In terms of the in, in the intersection of populism and nationalism, I see Biden kind of doing that too, isn't he? Even with the vaccine, I yeah. mean he's making it a and it shows you how the circumstances shift and change populism with the vaccine for everybody, but making it say it's sort of your national responsibility. It's your citizen responsibility. It's your American responsibility to get vaccinated so you don't harm your neighbor. I mean, I see it kind of working that too. And it's amazing to see because if, and if that's working, isn't it, John, it's incredible that, you know, how it shifts in, in or goes 180 degrees in just four years where Trump's populism slash nationalism was make America great and racism and, and all of that and white, specifically white nationalism. Right. And now Biden is saying populism, vaccines, infrastructure jobs, and let's do something together as Americans. It, it's really interesting how that pendulum swings, isn't it? Yes. And when he uh, campaigned at the very end and then after the campaign, he talked about making this the United States, and he would stress the word uh, united. And uh, in his uh, talking about uh, industry, he talks about uh, bringing made in the U USA back. So he, those are, to some extent, Trump themes, but that's the benign, not the malignant side of nationalism. The vaccine stuff and uh, that what's happened during the pandemic is really scary to me in some ways because you know, there are a lot of things we got out of Amer American individualism. You know, you get Steve Jobs in again and uh, Wozniak uh, in a garage making uh, computers as kids, you know, and then Silicon Valley. Very hard to imagine that in a more structured authoritarian business economy. But what's happened with uh, the mass and the vaccine and the extent to which we really uh, have taken so long to get this thing under control is scary. Uh, I have, I mean, I'm not recommending this to the Biden administration or whatever, but I would like to see a vaccination made compulsory. I'd like to see some way in which we made it like driver's licenses or whatever. And I think biz, some businesses and institutions are doing that because it's not, you know, it's not just a matter of, of you're being free to do something. Uh, you're harming somebody else by not doing it. So again, I think that that's an issue where American individualism has really gotten in the way of our, our having a, a, a successful plan to get rid of this pandemic. You would make it, you would make it compulsory. Well, yeah, I don't know how it would work, and this, this Supreme Court would throw it out in a second. So I, I say, you know, businesses, institutions, schools, that's fine with me. If I go to a baseball game, if there was a way to do it, if we could, ha if we could certify people, uh, if, if it wasn't a situation where people were selling cards over eBay, which, they, you know, has already started to happen, I would like to see vac va vaccination made in some sense compulsory so people can be free to go about their normal lives once again. More MIP after this message. You mentioned that we're kind of at a plateau in all of this. What will bring either of these isms, do you think, back on the rise again? I'm really looking towards this 2022 election. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, put, it, put it this way. I mean, we are in a situation in the United States where 
uh, and this is, you know, to some extent true in Europe too, where, where we're really going to have to have a much stronger government intervention in the economy. I think everybody understands that. Uh, even when there's no recession, I think the idea again of relying on China to make our our pills is not going to work. I mean, we're going to have to bring things back. Climate change, we're going to have to make big changes. So is that going to come from the left? Uh, again, going back to the 30s, is it going to be like the New Deal or is it going to come from the right? Is it going to be more again, a kind of uh, malignant nationalism, fascism, what, whatever you want to call it. So I think that that's a big battle. And I'm just hoping that uh, Biden can push us in the right direction on this. What worries me again is that we'll have uh, a Republican House in 2022, and we'll really have a kind of uh, stalemate in this country the way we had in 2014, for instance, where uh, we don't get things done, where a lot of people blame the Democrats for it. And, you know, and then we get the Republicans back and where we'll have a kind of seesaw in the country and really won't get past uh, the, this this uh, kind of p position uh, of, uh, you know, the term I use is unstable equilibrium. Uh, where the first you get one side, first you get the other side. And then where there's this very basic thing like getting the right to health care for everybody just doesn't get done. And you get this kind of jerry built programs that uh, when, you know, when Biden comes in, he's doing things that are necessary to really strengthen it. But, you know, they can easily be taken away uh, in two years. So, again, that's my worry. And I'm really looking at that election. Um it's potential, though. I, 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 I want to stay in line with your 2022 concern. Yeah. But it seems to me what we saw in 2012, the overwhelming effort to suppress the vote actually motivated more voters. Right. We're seeing that again now. Hopefully that will be the case again in 2022. More states are doing it than ever before. All these new yeah. voter restrictions as that. And then we're just hearing this week. The Supreme Court is going to hear uh, the case that could um, finally for them and what they were appointed to do, scuttle Roe. Now, if you threaten people's voting rights and take away the right of women to their own privacy once and for all, I, I don't know, John, I, I think that that you get rid of that plateau in either uh, populism or socialism. Uh, and to some extent, uh, nationalism, the benign. So, yes, uh, there can be things that are done like sanctioning states to uh, prohibit abortion that would really uh, push things, uh, I think, would would uh, give Democrats a lot of advantages. I agree with you about the voting rights stuff. I think that some of that can backfire. But, um, you know, the by-elections, these, these 2022, the midterm elections, people generally just do not come out uh, as much as they do in the uh, 2024s and 2028. So I, I am worried about it. You have two elections. You have Mark Kelly in Arizona, and you have uh, Raphael Warnock in, in Georgia. Those are both going to come up in 2022. And that those are really tests because those are both states that are trying, the Republicans are trying to uh, uh, suppress the vote. And I think there's reasons to worry about the uh, uh, Hispanic vote in, um, you know, in Arizona. And there's a worry about the black vote in 
Georgia. So we'll, you know, we'll we'll see. But a lot, see, you know, a lot of the things they've done, like the mail-in voting, you know, would screw people up during a pandemic. If we're, you know, if we're past the pandemic, again, I'm not sure if the specific things they're passing are going to be uh, that damaging. So uh, we'll 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 have to see. I would like to see the uh, Democrats, instead of uh, uh, concentrating on this 800-page uh, bill uh, about voting, to focus on one or two things that it would make it very hard for the Republicans to resist, like voting on Sunday or making the uh, voting day, the Tuesday, a, na a national holiday. Both of those would increase turnout immeasurably, and it would be very hard for the Republicans to say, you know, this is un un unacceptable. So... Instead, they have like, you know, hundreds of provisions, uh, uh, some of which are, you know, including D.C. estate, which I, of course, I support. But the mansion, for instance, from West Virginia, the senator will not support. So, so again, focus on a few things that would really open up the, ele uh, the electoral system. Well, I, I, John, I respectfully disagree. I don't think Republicans are going to accept even those. I don't think they're going to accept anything. And, and you're right. Those things are fundamental. But they've been a part of the discussion, as you know, for decades, too. If we said if Democrats said national holiday or Sunday, they still fight it. And we know even in some of these states, um, that's exactly what happened. Um, it happened in Georgia. Uh, they took away a lot of souls to the polls. So I, I, it looks like they're going to resist um, whatever. You mentioned Joe Manchin. What category does he fall in um, or does he... Uh, deserve his own category in this like maybe assholeism or something what what <laughs> he's a centrist democrat you should uh, you know you should get the, get down on your knees and uh, thank god that he's that we used to have him because otherwise you know we wouldn't have a majority and he's in a state that's uh, gone for trump like what 70 to 30 75 25 so but you but know you just have, have to accept that do we have a majority with him now? I mean, he's blocking everything. It's almost like what's the, what purpose is he serving if he's serving the block so much? You wouldn't have the relief bill without him. He was the crucial vote. Yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. And but, you'll get other things. There'll be other, there'll be other measures that he'll, he'll support, but yeah, I mean, it would be better to have a, a larger majority. It would be better to have had one Maine. It would, uh, Iowa, there were a lot of, you know, there were several Senate races that we could have won, and they're coming up in 2022, too, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, a few other states where, uh, where Republic, uh, Democrats could increase their margin in the Senate rather than uh, reduce it. Folks, the politics of our time, populism, nationalism, socialism with John Judas, his latest. Be sure to check it out. Available wherever you get your books. Congratulations, uh, John, on the book. Uh, you are you doing I guess you, you're doing a book tour. You're probably doing one virtually, right? Unfortunately, I like doing the book tours, too, you know, because you see people's reactions. Right. You get to interact it's with It's a real drag with the Zoom stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Also, folks, be sure to check him out at Talking Points Memo as well. TalkingPointsMemo.com. John, thank you for joining us on Make It Plain, buddy. It's my pleasure. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word.
Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.